follow the marquee and come to the Monday matinee. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hi there, and welcome to the Sonic Society, episode 488. I'm your horrific host, Jack Ward. And I'm your hellion other host, David Alt. It's officially six days from Halloween, which means this week's Sonic Society is the furthest away from Halloween as we can be without landing on it next week. And because we have three shows up tonight, our introductions will have to be short. It certainly will. First, we have our main feature, Kraken Mare, from the good lads at Yap Audio, an audio drama production podcast. And then we conclude our most recent Bells in the Bat Free Fest with episode 149. And finally finish with a loving remake of a classic Wavefront name please starring Erica Sanderson and a titan of the audio acting industry David Alt. Who's that then? <laughs> he's he's amazing. You have to listen to his entire really? catalog. Fantastic. Yeah. Well that's, that sounds like another grand EVP episode in the catalog again. And without further ado another show in the feed as we begin with Kraken Mare right here on the Sonic Society. Captain? I can confirm we successfully entered the atmosphere of Titan at mission time 1173-851. We are approaching 250 feet from the surface. Shoots were deployed at 3,000 feet. Copy that. How's your visibility? We're currently penetrating a thick cloud level. It's pretty dense. No view of the surface just yet. It'll make Edinburgh look like Bermuda down there. Aye, well, the captain would get sunburned reading a holiday brochure. That'll suit him just fine. Well, at least I'll be the only human being setting foot on Titan who still has a head of hair, McGovern. Well, hopefully you'll keep hold of it once we discover what's lying down there. Visibility improving now, Butler. We are through most of this cloud layer. How's it looking? The lighting isn't great, but we're getting a pretty clear view of the landscape. The Sea of Kraken Mare is spread out to our left. I can see a mountain range off to our right. Looks like we'll be landing between five and 800 yards from the coastline. The sky is heavy. Those methane clouds are dark and brooding. The whole landscape has a rusty orange tinge to it. Do you have a surface temperature reading? 
minus 161 degrees Celsius, Butler, and that's a balmy minus 251 degrees Fahrenheit. Better get the fur coats looked out. Indeed. Okay, Butler, we better get strapped in for landing. We'll report back once we're safely on the surface. Copy that. Good luck. Cheers. Welcome to Titan. History has been made today as the first manned mission to Titan reportedly touched down just a few hours ago. The expedition won the race to reach the mysterious moon orbiting Saturn ahead of countless others, including NASA. Their mission, funded by British entrepreneur Jennifer Barry, is to investigate what appears to be some kind of wreckage on the floor of the moon's biggest methane ocean, Kraken Mayer. The discovery was made by the Wells-Dyson satellite almost nine years ago and sparked a frantic space race that might finally answer one of humanity's biggest unanswered questions. Are we alone in the universe? Barry's team is made up of only three astronauts, Scotsman Frank Jameson and Duncan McGovern, who will conduct the groundwork on Titan, and London-born Dr. Laura Butler, who will man the control ship from the moon's orbit. The mission, which took just over two years to reach Titan, had been criticized by NASA as being rushed, careless, and grossly undermanned. But as news reached Earth that her accelerated expedition program appears to have paid off, Barry hit back at the space agency, who don't launch their own flight to Titan until February next year. The pensioners at NASA need about four years of budget meetings just to organize a night out at the cinema, don't they? <laughs> I think we've all been dreadfully excited about that object on the floor of the sea on Titan. It's really captured the imagination of the whole world. I've been fascinated by the prospect of life on other planets since I was a little girl, so money was no object when I put together this mission. To suggest that it was rushed and understaffed is ludicrous. Our three astronauts are the most capable, competent and skilled individuals I've ever met. Sometimes bigger isn't always better. When the Americans finally get there, we'll already have built a hotel to put them up in. From this moment, the entire human race holds its breath in anticipation. The team now faced the daunting task of diving down 160 meters to the bottom of this freezing methane ocean to investigate the object, which is said to be about the size of a Chinook helicopter. But Barry insists that with her equipment and training, this should be a routine mission. Microsub ready to roll, Captain. I'll get a start in calibrating that reverse fuel cell. Good work. I've got your suit ready. Glad I'm finally somewhere cold enough to wear the bloody thing. I nearly melted away to a puddle the last time I had it on. Well, you'll be thankful for it once you're outside and under the surface. If you so much as dipped your big toe in that stuff without it, you'd be dead in minutes. And there was me about to get the speedos on. <laughs> Christ, what a sight that would have been. I'd have looked like David Hasselhoff jogging into the Pacific on Baywatch. Aye, nipples harder than diamonds and a scrotum the size of a walnut. The perfect image to greet some extraterrestrial life for me. Well, like I've always said, if something or someone crashed that thing, they'll be doing incredibly well to be staying alive down there. 
especially if it's been sitting there for 10 million years. Just as long as I don't have to give anything the kiss of life. Please don't. If it wakes up in Phone's home, you can bet Earth would be obliterated before we even got you back to the surface. Huh. You need a hand with that? This? Uh, nah, I'm done. Come on. Let's go and get the land roamer set up. Okay, Captain. Coordinates from the landing point are uploading to the land room interface now. That will give you the closest point from the shoreline to the objective. Good work, Butler. Everything running smoothly down here. All equipment serviced and ready to go. We'll be bedding down for the night in an hour or so. Technically, the night isn't for another ten days, Captain. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not sure I brought enough coffee to fully adjust the Titan cycle just yet. Let's stick with good old GMT for now. Who's McGovern? Ah, he's fine. I can tell he's nervous, but who wouldn't be? It's a fairly straightforward route from the coast. 432 metres in, 148 metres down. I suppose that's easy for me to say, sitting up here. He practically lived in that micro-sub for eight months before we left Earth. He'll be just fine. I know. Anyway, if you need anything else before tomorrow, just shout. I'll let you get some rest. Good night, Captain. Night, Butler. What's that you're reading? Jane Spotton. Hmm. Irvin Welsh, eh? That's an old one. Aye. Reminds me of home, though. Missing it, eh? Missing the wife and the wee man. And the cat. It's not easy. I know we have a laugh and a joke, but think about where we are right now. Where we actually are right now. You're having your moment of clarity, then? Yeah, that moment when you lie back and think, here I am, lying in bed, reading a book about two men sitting in a pub in Edinburgh. And I'm on Titan. Fucking Titan. Incredible, I know. Funny you should say that about your book, too. What do you mean? Well, think about it. You said you're reading about people living everyday lives in Edinburgh. When that book was written, I bet most people read sci-fi books about space travel to places like Titan. Huh, I suppose you're right. They read about us, reading about them. Well, I'm going to get some sleep. Tomorrow, we'll certainly be giving the folks on Earth plenty to read about. We sure will. Night, McGovern. And don't you be up all night reading. Night, Captain. Just one more chapter. (laughs) You sound like my daughter. McGovern to command. Lonely night up there, was it? Lonely? No way. It was great to get some peace and quiet. Rubbish. You missed yourself anyway. Yeah? Yep. Jameson threw a huge party. The Titan police came and told us to turn the music down. Hmm. <laughs> You're such a rebel. Ready for the big plunge then? Sure am. Snug as a bug in this aqua armour. 
Jameson's been off collecting samples from the ground around the module. Don't listen to him, Butler. I was busy cleaning up the mess from this party that we allegedly had last night. You fit and ready, McGovern? Waiting to go, Captain. Up on then. I'll drive. Butler, we'll check back with you once we reach the coast. Copy that. Hope you remembered your fishing rods. Cracking mare, eh? She's a fair old size. I can't even see the other side. Not that I can see very far in any direction in this bloody place. Five times the size of Lake Superior, to be exact. Or, if you want a Scottish comparison, nearly 1,500 times the size of Loch Ness. Well, I suppose, unlike Loch Ness, at least we know for sure there's something down there. I guess we'll find out for sure soon enough, eh? Come on, let's get this micro-sub disconnected. Upon their arrival on the shores of Kraken Mare, one member of Barry's team, Edinburgh-born astronaut and deep-sea diver Duncan McGovern, will board and operate a tiny one-person submarine known as a microsub down into the depths of this freezing ocean of liquid methane. The microsub is one of the finest bits of kit in our arsenal. It's a one-man craft and looks a bit like an egg lying on its side. We wanted it to be as small as possible so we could get close to, and even inside, anything we might find down there. It was custom-built not as a water-submersible, but specifically to dive in liquid methane. As an operator, Mr. McGovern is exceptionally skilled. He took a prototype model down to the bottom of the Mariana Trench three years ago. Whatever it is lying under Kraken Mare, you can be sure he'll find it. Though liquid methane can be a clear substance, the heavy clouds on Titan mean visibility will be rather poor. The microsub has state-of-the-art infrared cameras on every side, however, so as far as Mr. McGovern is concerned, it'll be like scuba diving in the shallows of the Caribbean. I'm approaching a depth of 100 metres below surface level. Visibility remains good. No noticeable current down here either. Very still. Aye, the waves are barely two centimetres high. I doubt this will become a space tourist destination for surfers in the future. Never say never, Captain. If Barry wants that, she'll make it happen. Your temperature has dropped a bit. How are you feeling? A bit colder, yeah. Didn't think that would be possible in this gear. Well, you are further away from the sun now than any human's ever been in history. Don't I know it. Temperature is stable again. We'll need to keep an eye on it, though. 
Objective is now visible. I'm 30 metres from the seabed. Have you got a decent view of it yet? Not much better than the satellite images so far, but getting closer. I'm going to lock on now. McGovern? I've locked onto the objective. 15 metres from seabed. Is everything okay? I've lost your picture. I had a bit of feedback when I locked on. Maybe we were picking up some sort of static, or maybe it's the methane. Well, I've only got radio communication with you at the moment. Can you try locking off again? Copy. How's that? Still nothing. My cameras are still picking everything up. Must just be a signal issue. Don't worry, Captain. You'll see it all once I'm back up there. Two metres above seabed and stabilising. Christ, it's cold. Well, that's far from ideal, the picture and the temperature. I guess it's just my punishment for having all the fun. Well, I don't like it. Maybe we should abort. Oh, hell no. Captain, I I'm fine, honestly. It's just a minor feedback issue. You're not jealous, are you? I'm heading towards objective now. The seabed is more uneven than we'd anticipated. There's some rock faces and plateaus to our left and, and behind. How's your visibility? Good. Tell you what, Captain, there's some big caves down here. Might be worth another trip or two later in the week. One thing at a time, McGovern. McGovern? Sorry, Captain, I'm approaching the objective and... What is it? Come on, talk to me. It's like nothing I've ever seen. Honestly, you, you wouldn't believe it. Is everything all right? Everything's fine. Better than fine. This is just incredible. Well, spill the beans then, for the love of God. Is it some sort of... Craft. Yeah. It's a spacecraft for sure, Captain. It's about the size of a house, made of a kind of almost rocky-looking material. I can't identify it. Maybe it's a build-up of sediment or some other localised environmental effect. Can you get close enough to take a sample? Even a scraping? I'm just heading round to the... Oh, bloody hell! What? Oh, will you stop doing that? I can't see anything! You'll not believe this, Captain. There's a huge tear in the wall of the thing. I think something must have shot it down. Come on now, McGovern. That's wild speculation. It's more than likely just crash impact damage. Uh, this gravity? I don't think so. The craft was almost certainly attacked. There's more damage right across this side. Just keep documenting it and leave the analysis till later. Five seconds into discovering that we're not alone in the universe, now we're fantasizing about more extraterrestrial races. Why would it have to be another race who attacked them? We've managed just fine fitting amongst ourselves on Earth all these years. I was hoping we'd find proof of other life forms who weren't a pile of bastards like us, though. I think I might be able to get inside. Inside? You mean the. The craft, yeah. The hole on the side is easily big enough. Are you sure? Let's get a closer look.
This is amazing. Is there anything... anyone in there? The equipment is like nothing I've ever seen before. There's some sort of control panel straight in front of me. I'm guessing that's where they flew the thing from. You're still filming it all, right? Are you kidding? I'll get a hundred billion hits on YouTube for this. <laughs> YouTube? What age are you? It's making a comeback. My granddad said that about Facebook for years. I think I see... <laughs> Holy fuck! What? There's two bodies over here, at the far end of this chamber. What kind of bodies? Physical bodies? Corpses? Hold on. Let me get a bit closer. Would you look at that? Well, I can't, can I? What is it? Remember when we were doing our physicals at the Institute? There was that really tall guy with a big nose and comb over? Eh? Big skinny guy. Looked like someone had put a suit on a flagpole. McGovern, what the hell is this? Well, if he had had sex with an aunt, these guys would be their kids. <sighs> Hardly Neil Armstrong's one giant step spiel, is it? I thank Christ we're not broadcasting directly back to Earth. Have you got a sensible or, dare I say it, a scientific description of these beings? I'd say about eight to ten feet tall. Humanoid. Leathery or rubbery textured suits or skin. But I'm sure it's suits. No sign of mouths or eyes. But I'm sure those aren't helmets. Can you get one back up with you? I could, but what if the methane's preserving them? You said yourself this might have been here for millennia. Hmm. I suppose you're right. We can come back tomorrow with one of the airlock capsules. Some of the controls on this side look a bit like sonar equipment. There doesn't appear to be any windows either. I suppose if you don't have eyes, you don't need windows. Good shout. I never thought of that. Does it look like they navigated with any sort of big screens, computers, consoles? That sort of thing. There's no obvious signs of anything like that. Hmm. Something is troubling me a wee bit though, Captain. What's that? I'm not entirely sure that this was a spacecraft. Well, what else could it have been, McGovern? I mean, everything you've described suggests that it... I think it might have been a submersible. A submarine? But you said it had been attacked from the outside. What the hell was that? McGovern, what's going on? I'm seeing a lot of movement on the surface. I'm not hanging around to find out. I'm on my way back. Hurry, the surface is getting really choppy now. I'm approaching the exit. There's a strong current down here. I'm having to fight with the controls. How quickly can you... Oh, no. What is it? Have you... Caves. But there's... McGovern! McGovern, do you copy? McGovern, do you copy?
only surviving member of the team, Dr. Laura Butler, faces a long and lonely trip back to Earth. Butler herself had not set foot on Titan and could only listen on in horror as her comrades met their grisly fate. Yesterday, she sent an emotional message back to her friends, family, and the rest of us here on Earth. We knew the risks when we signed up for the mission. The guys knew the risks of landing on Titan. The discoveries they made in their short time down there have dwarfed the other significant discoveries of mankind. What we discovered on Titan changes everything. We discovered that we are not alone in the universe, that there exists or has existed another form of intelligent life, a species with superior technology and an obvious curiosity for space exploration. But I believe we discovered something else, something ancient and terrible. Though this creature's ferocity, strength and size is unrivaled on Earth, I think we can console ourselves that it doesn't present any immediate danger to us unless we should return to its home. For anyone else that heads to that cold, forbidding world, God help them. Way back in 2008, when scientists named the frigid, bleak ocean of Kraken Mare after a mythical sea monster, they were closer than they could have ever imagined. Chillingly close. Kraken Mare was written and produced by Matthew McLean of Yap Audio Production. Starring Robert Cudmore as Jameson, Caitlin Snedden as Butler, Jim Balfour as McGovern, Fiona Thrail as Barry, and Owen McEwen as the news reporter. Music by Kevin Hartnell, and cover art by Kessie Rilinicki. For more information, head over to our website, audiodramaproduction.com. Thanks for listening. is Decision 16 on CNN, the Cockroach News Network. As you know, our two candidates, Sally and Brad, have been battling it out for the top position in the cockroach world. And just in case you didn't know, you need to go back to episode 147 and listen to it. In a nutshell, Brad and Sally, a cockroach. Sally's the cockroach, not Brad. Okay, we could debate that are both vying to be the president of the cockroach world so the cockroaches can take over the world, the rest of the world, the non-cockroach world, and make it part of the cockroach world. I probably just confused you even more. Just go listen to episode 147. (laughs) Yeah, like, that's gonna unconfuse you. Okay, carry on with the episode. At this point, the votes are all in and they're being counted. While we're waiting for them to be counted, I do have one of the two candidates here in the studio with me. 
Mr. Mad Bratwurst. Oh, uh, that's Brad. Mr. Mont Bratwurst. No, that's a sandwich, I think. How do you think your chances are? Of me getting you to pronounce my name correctly? Of winning the election. Oh, oh yes. Well, I think I've got at least a 50-50 chance, so hey, <laughs> there's that going for me. Some say they're voting for the lesser of two evils. Well, they're not weevils, actually. They're cockroaches. Is it true that you are not actually a cockroach? Not in the literal sense, no. But you think you can lead the cockroaches to world domination? Yes, 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 yes. I have a platform for that. And how would you describe this platform of yours? Infested. Infested? Yes, you cockroaches just get everywhere. <laughs> no offense. Wait a minute. The results are in. We now know who the winner is. Oh, it's Sally, the other candidate, isn't it? I knew it would be. You cockroaches can't be trusted. You're all idiots. You don't know what's good for you. <laughs> well, you won't have Brad Montworth to kick around anymore. The uh, winner was not Sally. You mean... I won? Oh, you wonderful, smart, intelligent cockroaches. Oh, I love you all. Always have, always will. I'd give you all a big kiss if it wouldn't give me some sort of disease. Oh, Mr. Bratwurst. I hereby pledge to give 100% devotion to all the wonderful cockroaches in this building and in the world. Oh, uh, Mr. Uh... I will uphold the standards, such as they are, of cockroaches everywhere. Uh, Mr. Brad I will attempt to skitter along the floor with the best of you the moment the lights come on. Brad, I And our world domination plan will come to fruition. We... You did not win. ...will defeat the human race. You didn't win. And with my leadership... What do you mean I didn't win? I'm sorry you didn't win. Are you telling me I came in third in a two-person race? Apparently, there was a dark horse candidate. A comic book artist? A writing candidate that swept the election. The janitor? The Bush. How's that again? A genetically enhanced Bush. Bush? You mean like part of shrubbery? Exactly. Genetically engineered shrubbery. Okay, you've lost me. Back during the experiments in this facility, they made us genetically engineered insects, or G-E-I. Uh-huh. They also created genetically engineered botany, G-E-B. Geb. No, 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 genetically has the G sound, the G sound, so G-E-B would be Jeb. So you're telling me... I lost to Jeb Bush? All the cockroaches fear Jeb as he wanders around the facility grumbling and mumbling to himself. So they voted for him uh, to appease him. Uh-huh. And where is this Jeb Bush right now? One of the cockroaches has been sent out to find him to let him know that he uh, won the election. And that he was in the election. Boy, I'd like to be a roach on the wall at that meeting. This is your reporter on the wall, Ralphie Roach for CNN Cockroach News Network. I am in Jeb Bush's personal area. At this moment, a brave volunteer, Freddie Roach, is sneaking in to see 
Jeb Bush. Hello, Mr. Bush. Let's listen and see how this goes. Hello? Personally, I think Freddy is doomed. Excuse me, Mr. Bush. Uh, I'm just one of the cute little roaches that lives, uh, you know, outside here where you <laughs> wander around and scare us to death. Uh, <laughs> can I talk to you for just a second or two? <laughs> okay, okay, now look. You don't scare me. I know everybody's afraid of you, but I'm looking at you here. You're a, you're a bush. And you only got these skinny little roots down here. I don't, I don't know why everybody's afraid of you. You can't hurt us. Ow! 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 Okay, okay, you can hurt us. <laughs> well, I came here to tell you that uh, you got elected <laughs> to be president. Of the roaches. Alright, uh, here's how it all happened, you see. Uh, we want to take over the world. No, 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 just the humans. Uh, we leave all the plants alone. Uh, but then we figured we needed a leader, so we had this election, and uh, you sort of won. Yeah. You won. You're the big chief. Head honcho. Numero uno. So, uh, if you don't mind, you gotta come and make sort of uh, an acceptance speech. You can just wing it. Sorry. Branch it. So, in about uh, five minutes, that sound good to you? Now, if you'd like, I can give you some tips on what you should say. Ow! Okay, never mind, never mind. I'll see you out there in five minutes. And there you have it. Our newly elected president, Jeb Bush, will make his acceptance speech in just a few moments. What? Nothing, I'm just uh, reporting for CNN. Ladies and gentle vermin, the next president of Cigar, Jeb Boy! I haven't seen Arnie in a while. Arnie? Arnie? Uh, wonder where he is. Maybe Miss Schmackelheimer knows. This is Miss Schmackelheimer. Miss Sadie Schmackelheimer. Uh, Miss Schmackelheimer, do you know where Arnie is? No. 
Do you suppose you could find out where he is? I suppose I could if I were properly motivated. How about you find out where he is or I'll fire you? No, that did nothing. Never mind. I'll find him myself. That would be lovely. Goodbye. I guess I'll look him up in the phone book. Let's see, uh, Kunchpard, Kunchpard. How the heck do you spell Kunchpard? Let's see, C U C U N C A C. Kunch. Um, What's he doing, Mr. Bell? Trying to figure out how to spell Kunchpard. Oh, yeah, that is a toughie. I think it starts with C, but I'm not sure. C sounds good. All right, C U N. T-C-H? No, no, you gotta drop that letter. T? No thanks, but I'll have a soda. So it'd be C-U-N-C-H? Wait, what comes after C-U-N? C-H? Yeah, it's right there. Now I just need pard. I'll always be your pard, pilgrim. Okay, let's see how many cunch pards are in the phone book. In your what? Phone book. Wow, the things you can check out of the Smithsonian. Here's a Barney cunch pard. No, that's my dad. Here's a Carney cunch pard. That's my brother that works in the circus. Ah, here it is, Arnie cunch pard. Let me get on the phone here. Got a quarter. Got a Kennedy hat. Yeah. Well, no, I, I got a dime. Wait, wait. My pocket okay, here, take so these two nickels. No, wait, okay. Got change for a penny. Wait, here got it. Can... Okay. okay. Gee, I hope he's home. You know, people don't have to be home anymore. Oh, yeah, well, I guess there is that. Oh, this is Arnie Kunspard. Hi, Arnie. This is John Bell. Oh, there's a sucker. You told me the other day that you might have a new invention today. I was calling to see if you've got it ready. I certainly do, Mr. Bell. You got time to come over and show it to me? Well, gee, I don't know. Come on. How long would it take you to get here? Depends on how I hit the lights. All right. We'll see what you can do, okay? Okay. Hi, Mr. Bell. I hit the lights right. So, Arnie, tell me about this new invention of yours. What's you watching on TV, Mr. Bell? I don't know. Some nature thing about roaches, I guess. Doesn't have anything to do with us. Uh, whatever. Anyway, I have invented the cell phone. Um, hasn't the cell phone already been invented, Arnie? This isn't an ordinary cell phone, Mr. Bell. This is a single cell phone. Married people can't use it? Let me see if I can explain this to you in terms you can understand. Arnie, it's hard to understand you when you just say hello. Hello? What was that? Mr. Bell, do you know what an amoeba is? The opposite of an ayuba? Ooh, that's the best you could do? Yes, Arnie, I know what an amoeba is. It's a simple, single-cell animal. Yes, I was going to say that. Single-cell animals can do three things. They can eat, they can poop, and they can divide. But they can't do calculus. Are you going to take this seriously? As seriously as it deserves. Fair enough. Okay, Mr. Bell, look on this table. What do you see? Two Petri dishes. No, it's two Petri... Oh, son of a gun, you got that one right. I took biology in high school. Did you pass? Eventually. So we can tell these two Petri dishes apart. Let's give them two different names. Alrighty. This one on the right we'll call Rob, because it starts with an R. Fair enough. And this one on the left, it starts with L, we'll call it Laura. Laura. Yes. Rob and Laura Petri. That's a nice sound to it, doesn't it? Alright, what have you got in the Laura dish? Let's put this dish under the microscope and tell me what you see. An amoeba. Excellent. Mr. Bell. Now, 
it occurred to me that if we can genetically alter living things, maybe we could hybridize living things like single-cell animals with electronic computer chips. You mean something that's electronic but still a single-celled animal? Exactamundo! So I took my iPhone, took the chips, and hybridized them with the amoeba. You didn't. And I created a G-E-E. G-E-E? Genetically enhanced electronics. G. Yes, that too. Now, we put Rob Petrie under the microscope, and what do you see? Well, let's see, I see a a tiny little bitty iPhone. That's it, the single cell phone. How do you use it? You just inject it under your skin, on the side of your face, and it's there. So it's always there? Yep, and you never have to plug it in to recharge it because it recharges on the electrical impulses in your body. Arnie, I can't decide if this is brilliant or insane. Do I get a vote? No. Now, this being a single-cell electronic-animal hybrid thing... Does it divide? My theory is that it does. You don't know? No, I haven't had it long enough to find out. So what happens when it divides? You have a whole bunch of little tiny single cell phones? That's what I'm thinking. You could just create some for your entire family. For the block. For the whole neighborhood. And you think the cell phone companies would go for this? Every time a single cell phone would come into existence, they can charge you for an extra line. Oh, they're going to love this. I'll make a fortune! Uh, Arnie, something's happening in the Petri dish here. What, 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 what do you see? The single cell phone cell thing is kind of wiggling around. <gasps> it's about to divide. Should we put on some soft music or something? Let me look, let me look. Arnie! It's just biology in action, Mr. Bell. Like a lot of Websites. It's dividing, Mr. Bell. It's dividing. There's one, there's one, there's one, there's... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What do you mean, uh-oh? It didn't become two single cell phones. It became a slightly larger dual cell phone. Oh, so instead of dividing into multiple single cell phones, it's growing, growing larger. larger. Yes. Oh, look, look, look. Each of those is starting to divide now. And now it's an even larger cell phone. Oh, dear. That means it's going to start multiplying, and each cell will divide at the same time, and the increase in size of the cell phone means... Ooh. Ooh, doesn't sound good, Arnie. What are you trying to tell me? In about half an hour, the cell phone will be about the size of a regular iPhone. Oh, well, I'm glad I didn't stick it in my face then. In another half hour, it'll be about the size of a Buick. A modern Buick? A Buick from the early 70s. That's pretty big, Arnie. How about another half hour from that? Empire State Building. Including the dirigible, dirigible mass, yes. I have a new project for you, Arnie. Make it stop dividing. As soon as you can. Like by next episode? I'll give you two episodes, but no later. Look what's happening in that Petri dish. Oh, Rob! You've been listening to Bells in the Bat Free, episode 149. Copyright 2016 by John Bell Creative, LLC. Find out what happens with the roaches, Jeb Bush, the single cell phones, and more 
episode after next. What? Because next episode is a very special episode. Darn well better be. Thank you for listening. You made me listen. Comments, complaints, suggestions? Write to jbellvoice at gmail.com. Oh, you're in for now. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. please and uh, sit down they asked me to yes of course and uh, the name please Austin uh, Jane Austin yes uh, right Miss Austin and and what kind of book would you like to write pardon uh, what kind of book uh, oh are you planning a pamphlet no, nothing like that. Well, have you considered the genre? Realistic fiction is very popular today. Have you have you seen our section on rants? No, no. Uh, you don't seem to understand, Mr... Uh, uh, Durant. Uh, Mr Durant. Uh, librarian Durant, if you please. Librarian Durant. I'm not here to write a book. Uh, we prefer the term make a book, please, Miss Austin. Writing is uh, an archaic term that really doesn't fit with the, uh, well, our, our computer layouts. You see that... No, Mr. Librarian. I came to read a book. Hmm. Well, that's uh, unusual. It's... Unusual to read a book in a library? No, uh, no, of course not. Uh, we have thousands of books, of course, all for your viewing pleasure. But it, it, it makes no sense for the library assistants to send you back here. Office 14 is for special cases, Miss Austin. I am. I mean, I am a special case librarian, Durant. I'm not Jane Austen. <laughs> uh, but... You said that... Uh, that She's the author I wanted to read. And they couldn't help you at the Lost and Found desk? No. When I asked them for anything by Jane Austen, they gave me 15 titles. None of them familiar. <laughs> well, that's not unusual, Miss... Miss... Julia. Uh, that's not unusual, Miss Julia. I... Just Julia, please. Hmm. Yes. Well, as you know, the library constantly updates new and exciting books. I know. I used to have a copy of Pride and Prejudice, but then I moved. There's a need for input specialists, and Section Cournoir moved all of us, and... Very unusual, very unusual indeed. And this author's flagged special notice number 37... 
I've never come across number 37 before. Have you seen this book in our library? No. It's been in my family for generations. <laughs> I've never been to the library before. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> well, we must get you to come more often. Uh, all the newest books, all the latest stories, literature for all, you know. <laughs> I, I know. Why don't you write your own? Uh, older books are problematic. If you just wrote your own, then... Mr. Librarian Durant, I've seen your displays. <laughs> they are the most exciting new stories. <laughs> yes. I know because I, I listen to the net tubes and the freak bumps. Every day, someone on my block writes about their exciting latest meal or the way their dog barks at strangers or, or how the corporate public education system fails or promotes our children. But where are the classics? Classics? Yes, the classics. Our shared stories. Where is Jules Verne? Milton? Dickens? Shakespeare? Where's Sylvia Platt or The Diary of Anne Frank? Where's The Adventures of Peter Pan or The Journeys of Huckleberry Finn? <clears throat> Miss, uh, I've been a librarian for over 40 years and I've never heard of those names or authors. No? No. <clears throat> this is a buyer's market. Why be concerned about the old when the latest and greatest are newly printed? What do old books tell us? What's so wrong about making our own? Isn't it more important to create something unique than to rely on shadows from the past? What have they got to say about the modern age? Oh, so very much. <laughs> Will Shakespeare teach me to be a better citizen? Can your Milton show me how to operate the latest ice speaker? Explain to me how this pan details the benefits of service. They can't. So what value do they have? Are we supposed to simply keep the libraries filled with literature no one reads? <laughs> For what purpose? Because they are stories of the world. The world of yesterday and today. Oh. What is it? Oh, nothing. I, 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 I've just, um... I understand now. It's all right here. What's right there? Uh, the flagged books. The central office. Oh. Um, you will forgive me? Forgive you? I, I don't understand. Are you here today alone? Alone? Yes. Did you come to the library... Alone. Yes, I walked here from the station. Very good. Please follow me. But where are we going? Please. You're hurting me. Let go. Just down to the basement. Why? Dead book storage. I'm sorry. Why are you sorry? It's rather hot, I'm afraid. Just a few more steps down to no. the place. No! No! No!
Name Please was written by Jack J. Ward and starred David Alt and Erica Sanderson. Audio production by Scott Mosier and Richard Summers. Music by Sharon B. Name Please is part of the Wavefront Anthology. And that's our show this week. Please go to all the right places, and yes, you know by now where they are. And consider your entries for episode 500, because that's just 12 shows away. Wow. Facebook, Twitter, Sonic Society at Gmail. Did I miss anything, Dave? Uh, other than happy Halloween. Ah, happy Samhain for you as well. And until next week, I'm David Alt. And I'm Jack Ward. We'll see you right here. On the Sonic Society. Good night. Night. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. You can listen to classical and brand new audio dramas through the Mutual Audio Network. Subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or iHeartRadio today. There's eight different podcasts, one for each day of the week and genre. And the Mutual Audio Network broadcast feed so you don't miss a day of your favorite shows. Subscribe to Mutual Audio tonight. Good night.